I just have some thoughts which I'm going to kind of round off. I think we'll be a little bit earlier today, um, which may be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you feel. Um, but just some thoughts to kind of round off um, out, of, out of this kind of conversation that, that came to my mind um, and I thought might be good to explore. I got kind of caught as I was thinking through, um, as I was thinking this all through, I got caught very much by those words, your kingdom come, which is what this uh, kind of session is based on in intercession, your kingdom come. Words that, I don't know about you, but I have prayed many, many times in my life in different ways. Sometimes um, as like a prayer of hope, like I'm hopeful that, that God's kingdom might come in a certain way or in a certain place. Other times, sometimes out of desperation that just it needs to be something else that's in that place. To be honest, for the most part, I've probably prayed those words because that moment in church has happened where we're saying the Lord's Prayer together and that's uh, where, where they've come out there. But still, such important and weighty words. And actually, I think in some ways, because I'm so used to saying them, it's easy to lose the weight of those words. It's easy to lose the weight of what we're actually asking God when we say, your kingdom come. Do we, do we get that? Do we understand what we're asking for when we say, your kingdom come? Particularly not just in the world about us, but in our lives as well. You see, there can only be one king of a kingdom. And in our lives as Christians, there can only be one ruler. You don't get two. There's not two thrones or two crowns. There's one. There's one person in charge. And if we speak out these words, your kingdom come, then we're beckoning God to rule over our lives, to have control over all our lives, that we might be in tune with his kingdom and his will, rather than him being kind of just doing what we want him to do. It's about entrusting his kingdom, entrusting what he is bringing about in this world, entrusting him with every aspect of our lives. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find certain areas of my life much easier to give over to that kingdom than others. There are some parts that, oh yeah, that's fine, I can do that, that's not a problem. But then there are other areas where it's like, well, I kind of still think I know best here, or actually I think I should have control here. And I can't speak to you to say which of those things they are for you, but I do encourage you as you go from here, ask yourself, does God have reign over all my life or just bits of it? Is it a kingdom divided or is it a kingdom united for one purpose and for one king? Because the world out there teaches us that we should be king of our lives. We should be seeking to get what we can to, to hoard for ourselves. It's about what we can get for ourselves is so often the message, but that is not the kingdom that God is building, and that is not what he beckons us to. And there's one particular aspect that I really want to challenge us and to think a little about, which is, where is your heart, and what does your heart break for? You see, when we come to this discussion of intercession, there has to be something in us that is moved to pray. There has to be something in us that is moved for the cause that we encounter out there, for the struggle, for the other person that we, we don't know. The whole notion of intercession is about praying for the situations that we aren't directly in, praying for those that, that aren't us, but we see their struggle, we hear it, we feel it, and we want to lift it up to God. But that has to start with our hearts being broken. That has to start with our, ourselves being in that place of distress. And so I want to present to you a slightly odd notion this afternoon, that actually there is some distress that is good for us to chase after as Christians, that there is some distress that is good for us to seek. 
And that comes to the things that God is distressed for. And I'm going to break down a couple of them, although there are many more that we could look at. But I want to start with a broken heart for the lost. If we come to Romans 9, the wonderful book of of Romans, at the very beginning, we find in some ways, almost an odd word from Paul. Uh, This book so well kind of laid out, although often very hard to understand depending on the parts of it. But we come to this this moment, which is almost like a lament from Paul in some ways, not quite, but it's definitely a struggle from him. And I'm just going to read it through. It says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, don't maybe mishear Paul in this. He, uh, it's not, uh, he is confident in his salvation. This is not for a moment what he's hinting towards. He is confident. He is assured um, in the, the love that God has for him in the salvation he has. But we find in Paul in this moment, in the midst of Romans, a man who is brokenhearted for his kinsmen, for his brothers, for the people out there who don't know Jesus the way he knows him, who haven't understood, who haven't fallen in love with the wonder of the gospel. He is speaking of those who do not believe, at least the way that we believe, who do not understand that same Thing, that grasp, that grace, the way that we grasp it. Coming to this text really kind of caught me, and I hope it catches you as well. You see, what I saw in contrast, I saw Paul's anguish, and I realized that at times, I frequently lack that. I realize that at times it can be so easy to forget about those out there. We are literally surrounded on all sides by people who do not know the wonder of the gospel. How often are we in that anguish that Paul feels here? How often are we brokenhearted for those that we walk past on a daily basis who are not destined for good things as things stand? who need the love of Jesus in their lives, how often do we feel that kind of anguish? And it's the same anguish that we see in Jesus. If we look to Luke 13 and verse 34, we we hear words here where Jesus speaks, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers a brood under the wing and you would not. This anguish for those that would, an invitation would come to, I mean, Paul and Jesus here specifically speaking to a more Jewish context, but to those who do not believe, who have not grasped, who will not say yes to that gospel? How often are we broken hearted for people that we encounter in that situation? For those all around us in that situation? And the thing is, we can't make ourselves broken hearted for anything. It's not like it's a switch. You can't just go bang and now I feel really sad for this thing. Now I feel anguish for this person. It has to start in prayer. 
We have to come to the Spirit to seek this distress for those who are lost, to seek the distress that God feels for them so that out of that distress, we might be moved to action. Next off, I have a verse here from Hebrews 13.3. Remember those who are in prison as those in prison with them, as if those, remember those who are in prison, as those in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Break my heart for the lost and break my heart, God, for the persecuted. The persecuted church is one of those things that I really cannot do any justice to in a few moments on here on stage. And in some ways, maybe that's one of the problems. I don't know about you, but at least a lot of my experience here in more Western churches is that the struggle of brothers and sisters throughout the world who do not have the life as a Christian anywhere near as easy as we have it. One of, one of the struggles is that we only seem to wheel that out occasionally as a little notion, and then we wheel it back in the corner. That's not real anguish. That's not real distress. Just paying some kind of nice, that'll do, and then that's it. These are our brothers and sisters. They are scattered throughout the world, and we are in a place of privilege and blessing that we do not, on a daily basis, face the level of persecution that so many do constantly. But we find here in Hebrews this notion that we would ask, we would seek to be like them in the place that they are at. Another way you might say it, share suffering Christians distress, share suffering Christians' distress as though in distress with them. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily possible again on our own. We can recognize uh, where people are at. We can recognize the troubles that they may face in whatever country they may find themselves in. We can recognize, we can be informed of where they are at but to feel, to find ourselves, to understand this genuine struggle they're in, that's the sort of thing that only the Spirit can do in us. That is the kind of distress that we cannot mimic on our own. We have to come again to the Spirit. We have to come again to God and ask in prayer that He might break our hearts in the same way that He we, he might break our hearts the way his heart is broken for those who find themselves in such pain and such struggling. For it is, again, distress that can move us into action. And my final thought, although there are many more that we could go on, is this is just meant to be a little notion at the end, is for the poor. We find at the end, or we find in Galatians 2.10, remember the poor is a call that um, Paul speaks out to us. Remember the poor. And it is something that is constant in the ministry of Jesus, that he came to proclaim the good news to them. And that in many ways, those in poverty, those in need are, one of the, are the people that Jesus comes to most time and again throughout his ministry. Think of stories like Zacchaeus, who gives half his goods to the poor after one encounter with Jesus. 
Think of the disciples at the, uh, when they're gathered around the table at the Passover meal, at that last supper meal. There's a moment in it where, Jesus, uh, where Judas gets up and leaves abruptly. Now, we know where Judas is going, but the disciples, they presume he's going to go off. And if we find at the end in John 13, 29, the disciples presume that he's just going to head off and, and give money to the poor. Like, that's what they think. It's so part of their culture, so ingrained into what they're doing that their presumption is, oh, he's got off quickly, so he's probably going to be doing some good somewhere. He's probably going to be trying to help out someone somewhere. He's probably going to be getting alongside those in need. Or the picture, the incredible picture that we find painted in the book of uh, Acts. In Acts 2, uh, 44 to 45, it says, all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common, were selling their possessions and and belongings and distributing all proceeds to those who had need. To be so moved, to be so distressed, by another's need that you would give whatever you can to help, to support, to move, to provide. But again, we find, uh, we find even in the words of Jesus that on our own, we cannot be moved to do that, to make, it's, it's something that has to come from within us. In Mark 10, Jesus speaks, he says, With man it is impossible, but it is not with God, for all things are possible with God. You see, in all this, there is a consistent truth, that if we genuinely want to be brokenhearted for the things that are in God's heart, we have to start by going to Him. We have to start by seeking after His heart, and in that place we look beyond We have to seek his spirit to break our hearts, to distress us, and to move us into action. But in all things, it starts with him. Otherwise, we're just trying to do it on our own strength. And in honesty, we're back to that kingdom issue because we're just trying to build our own kingdom. We need to be looking to the things that God is doing, the way that his will is moving, trusting his spirit in us. And out of that, we move. Out of that, out of our tears and out of our distress, we go forward into what he is asking of us to build a kingdom that is not of this world. So I encourage you in a slightly odd way today to seek distress, to come before God, to come to his spirit and be moved, be distressed, by the things that truly and genuinely break God's heart. To start in that place. What we're going to do now um, is I'm going to give a little bit of time around the tables. It felt slightly odd to be doing a prayer course but not actually offer time for prayer. Um, So I thought that's what we would do. Um, You talked, particularly if you came to the last question, it was about maybe some of the things that you already spoken to, that you already feel on your heart, and that you'd like to see God move in and see intercession in. This is just, it's not a, it doesn't have to be anything complex. It's not about being super spiritual. All I'm going to invite you to do now is round the tables to lift up the things that distress you in our world round about us, the things that are on your heart. It can be nations 
far away. It can be cities near us. It can be people round about that you know. Just a few minutes. But spending some time in prayer together out loud or if you feel more comfortable into yourself, that's absolutely fine. But just a few minutes as a group round a table praying for the things out there that distress you. And at the end, don't worry, if there's things for you that you want prayer for, there will be a space for that at the end. So don't, don't worry so much about that. That's for now, let's look out to the things um, that we feel distressed for. So just a couple of minutes, and then we'll have a time of worship to finish off.